Knowing my sins have all been covered by the great I am. I am no need to worry, fear, nor care, for I know the Lord is always there. Come what may, I'm on my way, I'm walking by faith. Let come what may, I'm on my way, I'm walking by faith. Well, that's the only way we can walk by faith. Isn't that good? Well, great job, ladies. All right, we're going to turn to 1 Samuel again, and we're going to close this out today, This at least this back-to-discipline thing. And so we're going to get through it and finish it up. But 1 Samuel chapter 2, we're going to look at just a couple of verses there and get things moving along. But again, we want to um, see what the Lord has in store for us today in this area. And again, it's a very important area, as we've discussed over the last few weeks and looking forward to finishing it up and then moving on to some other areas that we need to get back to as believers. Well, our Back to God series, we've been back to the Bible, back to prayer, back to soul winning, back to loving, and now we're back to discipline, and that's important. Well, let's go ahead and uh, take a look at 1 Samuel chapter 2. Let's look at verse 12, and then we're going to go from verse 12 to verse 17. It says, Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. We drop down to verse 17. It says, Wherefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. How sad it would be to not want to be in church simply because there's so much corruption. And yet, unfortunately, we've heard of situations like that through the years. Maybe you've even been a part of something like that, and that's a sad thing. But may I say again, that doesn't relinquish, nor does it discontinue our responsibility as individuals to continue to serve the Lord and to be faithful to Christ. How many times have you knocked on a door or possibly talked to a family, friend, or relative that uh, doesn't go to church? They'll say, I had a bad experience at church. And boy, that is a horrible thing, and it's a sad thing. But boy, how important is it that we still obey the Word of God when it says, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. To live the Christian life, you're going to need a little bit of support. You're going to need help. And someone says, well, all I need is God. Yes, but God put some things in place to help us in the Christian life, to walk the journey, to, to, to run the race. And one of those things is the local church, the leadership, and the fellow believers that we come in contact with every, every day. So in this particular case, it got so bad, though, and nothing was being done about it that people abhorred, the Bible says, the offering of the Lord. Now in verse 22. It says, Now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he said unto them, Why do ye such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no, no good report that I hear. Ye make the Lord's people to transgress. He says, you're the reason why many of them are being unfaithful. You're the reason why they're not following through with the sacrifice. It's your fault. And boy, that's a mess. And I'm hearing about it. I know what's going on. I've been, I'm now privy to it. Unfortunately, we're going to see that he did not take the proper steps to deal with it. Because over in verse 29, we read that when he's approached by uh, the, the man of God, it says, Wherefore, kick ye at my sacrifice and at mine offering. We're going to see again here that... Uh, uh, that, that Eli is being told now what God's got to say about all this. Wherefore, kick ye at my sacrifice and at mine offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest thy sons above me. 
to make yourselves fat with the cheapest of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Again, notice, honorest thou, honorest thy sons above me. Boy, that's an indictment right there. So we know that Eli's privy. He's aware of what's going on. However, obviously certain steps are not being taken. And in this case, it's identified by God as honoring his sons above him. Well, that's, that's a pretty, pretty major indictment. Now, we finally go over to verse 11 and we see the outcome. Chapter 4, verse 11, I'm sorry. And we see how it all ends. And again, it was prophesied that it would end as it's going to. But sadly enough, it never ends good when we are in open rebellion and sin against God and His Word. But it says here in verse, chapter 4, verse 11, we note it says, And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. We see that in the, next, the battle that they have with the Philistines, these two men are killed. As well as we know that when Eli finds out about the ark, he falls backward, breaks his neck, and he too dies. And so we have a changing of the guard taking place at this point. Now, again, discipline, so important. And we utilize the passage in the Bible because, listen, it doesn't matter whether you're a preacher or a priest or whatever you are. The truth is, is that we all have the same responsibility as parents to train up our children in the way they should go. To do our best to do things God's way. And again, that's really the key to everything. To do our best to do, God's, to do it God's way. That's the key to everything. It's not to do our best the way we think we need to do it. It's to do our best the way God says it needs done. And that's the key to the Christian life. That's the key to any aspect of life. Doing things God's way and doing them the best we can. And God will give us the grace we need when he sees our heart and recognizes our heart. He'll, do, he'll step in and help us, and he'll give us the grace to do what is necessary. He never commands us to do something that he doesn't empower us to do. And so we have to always believe that as well. And so we discussed a number of things along the way, and we've, we've talked about a number of things. We talked about the method of discipline, and then we talked about how that method produces specific results. And uh, we listened to some of the experts and some pretty tough uh, advice that was given to a certain particular pastor that had written in and asked uh, Bill Rice some questions about his child. And so we took some time to do that, look over that a little bit. Uh, Before the end of the evening, the last time we gathered, we talked about some principles of discipline as well. And we said, what are some principles? We said, well, we need to be consistent. That's probably the most important element. Probably more important than the method itself is just the consistency to follow through. We said be balanced. We said that punishment must fit the crime. You've got to be reasonable with the severity of things. You know, the, the child forgets to, um, I don't know, brush his teeth at night. It's not the same thing as if he out and out disobeys mama, so to speak. You know what I mean? So it says no to mama. Saying no to mama is a, is a totally different issue than, oh, I forgot to brush my teeth. So you're getting 10 wax for not brushing your teeth. That's a little bit excessive, I think. Uh, you know, but uh, we're going to give you just one for back-talking mama and saying no to her. That, see, that's inconsistent. You know, that would be inconsistent. And I use those two extremes. But we note there that the punishment must fit the crime. Bad situation, rebellion, uh, much rebellion, then there's much discipline, that kind of thing. Now, be loving, we said. Don't discipline out of anger, but out of love. Your motivation, your attitude for correcting should be in the best interest of the child, not necessarily our best interest, although the two do go hand in hand. We'd be lying to ourselves if we said they didn't. We know biblically they do because we know that as a child is disciplined, as the child is taught properly, then they bring honor and they bring uh, uh, positive uh, feedback to parents and so forth. We see that in the Word of God. So they go hand in hand. Now, anyway... 
we dealt with principles of discipline. And today we want to pick up with this idea, when to discipline. When do you discipline your children? Because, again, there's a number of questions. And sometimes, uh, should I say, people have a lot of different ideas of when to discipline. And I'm not just talking about when to start disciplining. I'm talking about what kind of situations demand and require discipline. And so let's go ahead and have a quick word of prayer, and then we'll delve into that and move along and try to finish this lesson, get through with it today. Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you do for us. And again, Lord, we're moving quickly so far, but Father, today, this evening, we're asking, Lord, that you'd help us. In this room, Father, there are children. In this room, there are young adults, and there are are young people. And Father, it's important that their foundation be secure, that be strong, and that it be be, uh, very solid. And Lord, we want them to grow up, Father, with the proper spirit and attitude toward parents and toward, Father, you, the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, toward, toward uh, uh, you, their Father, God. And we just ask, dear Lord, that you would just bless us tonight. And may our uh, time spent here on this issue be profitable, not just uh, tonight, but, Father, into the future. Now, Lord, we, lead, we need you and we thank you for all of the instruction you give us and for the blueprint that you've laid out, the pattern that you give us in the Word of God. We love you for it. In Christ's name, amen. So when do you discipline then? Because, and this is just all real practical today. Well, you know, we're just going to talk a little bit about some of this. But in James chapter 4, verse 17, the Bible says, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now that's a pretty important passage, okay? Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now, when someone, when, when a child recognizes and understands when things are right and wrong. That, that's, that's important, okay? Now, we're not talking about the age of accountability here. We know that in Israel, we know that uh, those that were, uh, you know, 20 and upward were counted. Those that were below weren't, and they were not held accountable for the decisions that was made by their elders. And so, you know, some have said, well, the age of accountability is 20. And, and then there's others that say, well, it was the age when Jesus went into town at 12. And uh, everybody has their own idea. Uh, many times what that is. There's nothing in the Bible that specifically designates an age as the age of accountability. But there certainly is an attitude, and we understand that to be a, a concept, a, 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 an opera, uh, the ability to understand right and wrong, to realize and recognize the need for Christ in one's life. There comes a point where we come to that place and the Holy Spirit draws us and we choose to either reject or accept. If we've gotten to that place where the Holy Spirit's able and willing to do that, then we are accountable. However, that's not really what we're addressing, what we're dealing with. We're talking about knowing what is right, knowing what is wrong, knowing what we ought to do, and then willfully disobeying. Him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And so someone says, well, when should we discipline then? When, when, in what situation should we discipline? Well, it's pretty apparent, it seems to me, that we need to discipline the very moment children are capable of understanding what right and wrong is. And someone says, well, what age is that? Now, again, it's not in my notes, but I can tell you this. The moment a child is doing something that is not proper, we're training them, right? We're not talking about discipline. We're talking about training. Remember we said within training is discipline, all right? So here's the thing. A little baby that I hold in my arms that reaches for my glasses over and over again, that child's old enough to learn to be trained not to touch my glasses. I mean, I'm talking a little baby, okay? A little baby, you hold them, and they're going, you know? And they're smudging your glasses all up. And I don't know about you, but I'm a freak about that. I can't stand my glasses being dirty. And so a little kid grabs my glasses and I go, I flip, you know, flick their hand. They feel a little bit of pain and I say no. It's real simple. No. 
no, no. After about three times, they don't want to touch your glasses. Now listen, we're training them. That's not discipline. Someone says, when should you discipline? In a sense, that's only training, but we're utilizing some reinforcement there. And, and pain's a good reinforcement. There's nothing wrong with that. That is not unscriptural. It's not, un, it's not you know, it's not wrong. It's not abuse. You're beating your little infant. No, I'm not. I'm not beating him. I'm training him or her to, to, do, to, to respond the way I want them to. To not let them rule, but I rule. I'm in charge. I know what's best for them. Because, see, then what happens is I hand them to someone else. They grab their glasses and bend them, and then they break them, and you look like an idiot. And then you either buy them a new pair of glasses, or you go, well, I'm sorry, that's the baby's fault. No, I'm going to teach my kid not to touch those things, not to grab earrings, not to pull things off the chest, not to do all of that. Okay, you train your children. As soon as they're old enough to understand things, you train them. Now, once they've learned things, then it becomes a discipline issue. And that's where we're talking about today. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. We teach our kids things. So let's move ahead a little bit. Let's go to the middle two- and three-year-old junior. Two- and three-year-old junior, he understands some things are wrong and right. She or he understands that. They've been trained, I hope, that certain things are wrong and right. You've said no enough times or you've said you've, 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 you've not allowed them to do certain things enough time. They know they're not permitted to grab the television clicker. They know they're not allowed to go up and touch the TV. They know they're not allowed to take something off the counter, maybe, you know, a little table that you have in your, kitchen, your, your living room or something. They know that. They, they've been told that. They've been taught that. And you know what? You need to train them not to do things like that. And, and again, you need to take the class if you don't know how to do that. But the fact is, is that they, once they know that it's right or wrong, then all of a sudden, that's when they're to be disciplined for it. You say a two-year-old? Absolutely a two-year-old. But I'll tell you what, the terrible twos are a fallacy. They last for about two weeks. There's no reason in the world why a child should be bad just because they're two. That makes no sense at all to me. Or three. Now, let me tell you something. I'm going I'm to just... Um, let me, let me give you an example. My wife reminded me of this yesterday. I took out 13 children yesterday on the couriers by myself. Okay? Now, again, they aged from, they were probably from uh, 12, I think the oldest was 12, and, and the majority of them were probably below the age of 8. Um, now, let me tell you something. I didn't have problems with one of your children, not one of them. Not one of those kids gave me a lick of problems. They did exactly what they were told. When I said, stop, and, you know, and I'd gather them together and I'd say, we stand here, we don't move. Well, don't talk to me. We're not talking now, we're doing. I, I had some expectations for your children. I set the bar pretty high. But the expectation was you do exactly what I say when I say it. Nothing more, nothing less. Okay, now listen, I'm, I'm not trying to, listen, I'm telling you that if you come to me today and say to me, my kid does not listen to me, I'm going to tell you that's amazing because they listen to me. And I had 12 other ones there at the same time. I'm telling you that children, you, you have to set your, your standard high. You've got to have great expectations for your children and hold them to those expectations. Your children are smarter than dogs. And yet you can teach a dog to sit, to stay, to come. And I mean it. You, 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 we many times today in our culture, we act as though children are incapable, although we say they're smarter than ever. You know how it is today? Children are just so smart today. Yeah, but they're so rebellious and disobedient. Well, that's why. No, it isn't. It's because we're not training and we're not teaching and then we're not holding them accountable. 
We're not, our expectation levels are way too low. Way too low. And so, what are some things? Well, deliberate disobedience. If a child is willfully disobeying you, you, you say to, you know, uh, come to daddy or come. And that child says, no. Can anybody tell me what that's called? That's willful disobedience. I mean, they're just downright not. They know they're supposed to come to you probably if they're old enough to say no. And my point just being is, that is willful disobedience. Now, again, I, I, I don't have time to go into it, but I used to train my kids to come to me at home under a different environment. I never did, waited till church time to figure out whether they'd come to me. I'd put, them in, I'd put them in a little circle, make them sit down, and I'd go sit on a, the chair over here. And at the time, we had a little pew somebody had given us, and I would say, Joshua, come. And, and I taught Joshua to come to me. He'd come to me all slow. I'd say, no, Joshua, come. And I'd walk him the speed that he's supposed to come. Over and over. I did that for at least three or four times, five, six times. Pretty soon, Joshua, I'd say, sit him down there. 30 seconds after he gets a little tied up in his little game or his little toy that I had in front of him, I'd say, Joshua, come. And he'd get up, come to daddy. When he come to me, the speed that I wanted him to come, that he was trained at that point. Now, I had to reinforce that over the course of a few nights. I had to reinforce that on a continual basis. Sometimes I'd just be sitting in the living room one time. I'd just say, Joshua, come. And make him come to daddy. Joshua, come. And then Morgan, come. And I'd make them do those things because I'm reinforcing this. I've trained them. Now, what if they don't come to me? What if they sit there after I've trained them? They've already been trained and they've been going along here. It's been six months down the road. They've been doing great. All of a sudden, one day I say, Joshua, come. And he looks at me and goes, you know what that's called? Willful disobedience. Now, we had problems with our youngest son, Caleb. Because we, at one point, we, we kept wondering, what in the world's going on here? That boy just won't listen to us. And we could not figure that out for a while. We would be out, we'd be out um, on, on the trail, like we'd take our kids out walking or something. When was, you know, and Caleb, at this point, is old enough now. He's probably four, five, or six, whatever it was. And we're like, Caleb, you would say to the kids, stop, no further. And then they'd have to stop and wait for us to catch up, things like that, you know. And oh, Caleb, he just kind of... <laughs> What is going on with Caleb? So we decided, Sharon and I said, you know, let's try some, a couple of, let's try experiment. So I'd say, Caleb, you want some candy? Caleb never turned around. Caleb, you want some gum? Got closer. Hey, Caleb, you want some pop? And Pop? He couldn't hear us. He had hearing problems. Now, see, there's a difference. See, I would have been a pretty bad parent to beat my child or spank my child for not hearing. You're so rebellious. You're so disobedient. You never come to me when I call you. Well, because he couldn't hear me. But then it was tough to know when he couldn't and when he did. So we had to get his ears fixed. And then there was no question, right? Willful disobedience. See, they hear, but they don't respond. Get your shoes on. Get your shoes on. And the shoes aren't on. Do they know how to put their shoes on? Did you teach them how to put their shoes on? Have they done it in the past? Is there no doubt that they know how to put their shoes on? It's just when you said it, they didn't do it. Guess what? That is when to discipline. That is willful disobedience. 
when they knew and understood, but they just simply disobeyed. Go clean your room and don't come out till it's finished. And they're sitting out there three minutes later. And you're like, your room's clean? Wow. Uh, yeah. And you walk in and go, that's clean? That's probably one of the toughest ones for moms, I think. Kids in their rooms. I'm glad I'm not a mom in that situation, because that's a rough one. My wife used to say, you know, my wife would say, man, those kids, they never clean their rooms. It's all such a chore to keep the rooms clean. I'd say, well, when they girls, it was always the girls that were worse. But then I'd say, I'd say, I'd say, well, when they get married, it'll all be better then. I don't know. (laughs) Is it? Okay, good. I'm glad to hear that. I'm not, Brad's not, I don't even see Brad, fortunately. But anyway, no, I'm teasing. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. <laughs> They've learned to clean because they had to. But anyway, uh, you, know, you know how that goes. So it's, it's just disobedience, and, and sometimes that has to be addressed. You've got to deal with that. Uh, this, this idea of a child allowed to say no to us, you, you know, I, you know I, I get it. You know, I get it. They're people, right? I, I get it. At least that's what people tell me. Can I tell you something? This is interesting. You're going to find this crazy. Do you know my kids made the distinction between people and kids? And you say, that's, that's not right. They are people. I get it. They are. We should treat them with respect. Don't misunderstand me. But can I tell you this? I never wanted, and you do what you want, but I didn't want my eight-year-old coming into a room with full of adults talking and discussing things and them taking the center stage. Amen. No, they're going to sit and listen to the wisdom that's in that room. Now, that isn't how we do things today, but I just want you to look at the culture we live in and ask yourself how it's all working out. But what I want you to understand is that that my child is not an adult yet. There is a difference between adults and children. And unfortunately, we're losing that distinction because we treat our children like adults in so many ways. And we try to talk to them when they shouldn't be talked to. We try to reason with them when they shouldn't be reasoned with. And we don't treat them like kids. My, my children used to go around going, yeah, um, the people said, you know, there's the people, and, 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 but daddy, the kids were over here. The people and then the kids. There was a difference in their mind. See, adults were people and kids were just kids. Now listen, you say, that's horrible. No, it isn't. My, go talk to my kids. They're fairly well adjusted. <laughs> they, they're, they're okay. They, they turned out all right. They really did, I think. And, and so my point being is, is that we have to be careful. So here's the thing. This idea that a child has a right to tell you as a parent no, I don't know where we've learned that or we've picked that up. It's funny today, we're not allowed to tell our kids no because it hurts their self-esteem. But they're allowed to tell us no today. I don't know how that's swapped. I mean, what about my self-esteem? You know, I mean, I'm just trying to figure that out a little bit. How's come they're allowed to have it, but I can't now? Now, all I'm saying is, when a child says no to you, you say, you say um, now, eat the rest of your food on the plate. No. Uh, let me ask you something. What's that called? That is willful disobedience. That, that's not just a bad day. That's not, oh, they're having a hard time. That's not, they just don't like that food. 
Don't they know, haven't you trained them that what's in front of them, they're to eat? And if you've told them that, you've taught them that, you've showed them that, then they are responsible to live up to that expectation. That's called willful disobedience. Let me tell you something. When you're out in that hallway and your children's running through the halls and you say, Johnny, come here. And he goes, what is that? That is willful disobedience. When he's climbing up these steps and you say, Johnny, no, come. And he goes, no. What is that? Willful disobedience. You know what that is? That's a time to discipline. Now, I suggest you don't necessarily doing it here at the foot of the altar, but I'm taking them somewhere where we can get in private for a moment and address the issue. But may I say that probably if you're having problems with them here at the altar, you've had problems with them somewhere else too. Now listen, someone says, well, you know, you're judging my parenting? No, I'm telling you that your child needs you to set strict parameters and guidelines and hold to them. Your expectations should be high and you should demand what you expect. Because where there is willful disobedience, there, is always, there are always consequences in God's economy. The problem is we're training our children to disregard God's warnings. Because when we don't teach them to obey as children in our own presence, and they don't learn there's consequences to disobeying mom and dad, they also think somehow that God's going to let them off the hook when they disobey him. See, we're setting a pattern for the children. Not just a pattern that affects them today or in our home or while they live with us. We just want to get through these years and once they're on their own, they do whatever they want. Just want to get, out of, get them out of my house. No way. We're trying to set a pattern for them. We're preparing them for the future. Man, a boss is going to say to them one day, you be here at 6 o'clock in the morning or 8 o'clock in the morning or 7 in the morning. You're going to work till 6.30. And they say, no. What's going to happen? They're going to starve. And if you've raised a man to do that, you're going to have a wife and children that are going to wish you had trained that child how to obey. I'm just saying we have to keep this in mind. We've got to think about this a little bit. Willful disobedience, rebellious actions, obvious disrespect. Boy, I'll tell you what, deliberate, dis, uh, you know this, when to discipline, when there's obvious disrespect. One of the things that's important when you deal with children, or, or anyone for that matter, is, is that you, you discipline for attitude more than action. See, the attitude's much more important than the actions. And then listen, a kid may do the wrong thing, but if they do the wrong thing with the, the kind of a good attitude, you're almost like, maybe they don't even really get it yet. <laughs> I better train them a little more. But when there's an attitude, that's a problem. You know what I'm talking about. You spanked your child biblically, and they storm off, slam the door behind them. Uh-uh. <clears throat> didn't that just get to you? Doesn't that do something inside you as a parent? You know what that does to me? It makes me say, well, we haven't learned the lesson yet. It's time for round two. That's right. <laughs> because your attitude stinks. Amen. And it's stinking up the whole household. And we will not allow you and your stinky attitude to rub off on anybody else in this home. So come on back here and let's get the attitude adjusted. Now someone says, well, that's a little bit harsh. No, that's called biblical discipline. Because when there is an element of obvious disrespect or tantrums or anger or whatever it might be, boy, for a child to raise their voice to you as a parent, that's disrespect. You say, well, I've learned to accept it. You have so low expectations. 
You are so far beyond that. You should never allow that to happen. I don't know about you gentlemen, but I don't let a man talk to my wife that way, let alone my own child. I don't get that. If a man walked up to your wife and said, you shut up, woman, you'd go, whoa, 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 wait a second. That's my wife. I'll tell her to shut up, thank you. But we'll allow our kids to do that. We won't let someone else do that, but we'll let our children treat our wife that way? I don't understand that. Hey, listen, go work out with some weights. Do whatever it takes, but put on some muscle and deal with that problem. And I'm talking about your little four-year-old. I mean, what's it going to take for us to understand that we're not allowing that child the opportunity to grow up and be successful in society? We're, we're cutting their throat before they even get out of the home. You don't do that. You don't allow that. Obvious disrespect, back talk, raising your voice toward you, questioning you, name calling, sassy attitudes, and so on. Those things are wrong. Someone says, well, that's just normal for a teenager. That's normal. You know how teenagers are. Yeah, I do know how they are. I absolutely do. I had four of them. He said, well, it was a lot different when you raised your kids. I know about six years ago I had one. It's amazing to me. I used to tell, I was just talking to Brother Don about this. When I was younger and I, my kids were younger, I was very, very careful as a pastor to how I dressed and dealt with raising children. Because everybody would say, well, when your kids get to be teenagers, you'll find out. Yeah, it's all easy now. But wait till they're teenagers. And then my kids became teenagers and I'm in the midst of it all. And God's blessing us and we're seeing some positive things. Oh, they weren't perfect because no kids are. They did some stupid stuff like any teenagers do. But my point being is they were respectful to their parents. They were respectful to people. They didn't treat others like problems. And let me tell you something. I loved being around my kids. I never had a problem with that. I loved it. Enjoyed them. They were a blessing to me. Yeah, we had some battles and some, some attitude issues that we have to work through. Everybody goes through that. Even dad goes through that. But man, it was a blessing. Hey, listen, I do not know what it is for children to continually rail on their mother or to continually talk bad about the leadership of the church. I wouldn't let that go on. I got so angry one time at one of the leadership of the church over a situation that was taking place in my youth group over one of my kids. I remember sitting across the desk from this particular person and saying, all right, I I said, this is the deal. I said, I'm taking off the pastor hat, and I'm a dad right now, and I'm going to talk to you like a dad. Because I'm not the preacher no more. And man, I lit into him as a dad. I said, if you ever let that happen to my daughter again, I'm going to take you outside and beat the crap out of you. Someone says, what? Yeah, I was so angry about a situation that took place and things that were permitted. And then I said, now I'm going to put the pastoral hat back on. And I said, all right, now, we know there's a problem, let's fix it. I went home to my kids because when I'd heard originally that something had happened at the particular situation, it was a a big day, we had a bunch of kids from out of, uh, in our area in and so forth. I remember going to my kids and I said some things that I shouldn't have said. I, I expressed my anything but stellar response. I mean, I was not happy, and I said, that was wrong. That should have never happened. Boom, 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 boom. And I hit it. Boom, 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 boom. 
I had to go back to him the next day. I still have it in writing in my office, actually. I, I read it the other day because I remember taking the time in my office to write down the four things that I need to apologize to my kids about and tell them why I need to deal with it differently next time and that I was wrong in how I handled that. Listen, life is not always easy. People make mistakes, including leadership. You do, I do, we all do. And I had to address those issues very honestly and openly with leadership, but I also had to be open and honest with my kids. And I had failed my children because I had shown an attitude toward a leader and I had, dis, I had undermined the leadership in their life. And they needed that leader in their life. Oh, that leader wasn't perfect and neither was the pastor that the, had hired that leader. We were all imperfect people trying to do a job and make a difference in the lives of others. Every one of us make mistakes, and all of us will fail from time to time. But my children had to learn a very important principle, that daddy was wrong that day because daddy did not respond properly toward leadership. I I took it on the chin and said, kids, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I shouldn't respond that way. More than anything else in this world, my, my children, I told them, I want the hand of God on my life, and the hand of God will never be on my life as long as I have an attitude like that toward leadership. Boy, I'll tell you what, just like that. They saw it. They heard it. I don't know how it affected them, but they seemed to do pretty good after that. And after me and that person rolled around in the grass outside for a while. No, I'm teasing. But anyway. <laughs> hey, listen. Listen. You know what? We're allowed to be men. See, I'm all about being a man. Amen. You know, you got a problem, then face the person. Now, obviously, we don't want you throwing down. And I may not have said, you know, beat the crap out of you. But I said, well, I'd like to go out there and roll around in the grass for a while. I did say that. But I kind of exaggerated a little bit because the story, my wife says I always exaggerate in my, my uh, illustrations. So I got to watch that because that's not right, too. I apologize. <laughs> See how humble you got to be as a pastor? You're always, it's terrible. It's the worst. So obvious disrespect, though. I was disrespectful toward leadership. I had to tell my children that even. And you know what? You can't accept that from ourselves. We can't accept that from them. We've got to work on these things. So what are some of the conflicts? What are some things that keep us or that get in the way of disciplining our children the way we should? What are some things that keep us from doing that? Well, number one, feelings do that. Our feelings. The Bible says in Proverbs nineteen eighteen, it says, Chasten thy son while there is hope. And let not thy soul spare for his crying. Proverbs 19, 18. Sometimes our feelings get in the way. We, we, we don't want to have to spank our kid. We don't want to have to discipline or tell them they're wrong. We don't want to have to correct them. We feel bad about it. Sometimes these teenagers, they're good kids. And, and we, we think, man, okay, so they're messing up a little bit. Big deal, right? They're messing up some. I don't want to be all over their back all the time. I don't want them to feel like I'm riding them all the time. And so our feeling is, we're going to discourage them. They're going to think we're so, you know, our our expectations are too high and we're going to wreck and ruin their self-esteem and all that. And uh, sometimes uh, we find it hard to, to correct them, to discipline them. And with the children, we don't want to hear them cry. I mean, everybody wants a happy baby. You know, I hate to see them crying. So we don't follow through. And so our feelings can affect us. Number two, modern psychology has. It's weaseled its way into the church. It's weaseled its way into the lives of all of us. Not, there's not one of us that went to public school that didn't have a class on psychology. 
that wasn't told how these things affect children and how, you know, the latest techniques have proven to be so stellar and how they're so much better and more effective today and how they're raising children to be so much more loving and accepting and blah, 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 blah. And if you spank your children, then you obviously are just an angry person and you're raising an angry person and it's someone that's going to go out and hurt people, bully people. Modern psychology. The timeout corner. Count to three. Rationalize or rap with the kids these days. Self-esteem issues. All of that stuff. Modern psychology. Who in the world can true... I mean, this idea... Listen, can I tell you? Let me tell you something. I have the smartest granddaughter in the whole world. Guess what? You think that about yours, too. Everybody thinks their kid's the most beautiful. Everybody thinks their kid's the, the, the hottest thing on the market, so to speak. Everybody thinks theirs is the most genius. You know, they've got a brain that's bigger than their head and all that stuff. I, I get it, okay? I get it. We all think that. But can I tell you something? My, my three-year-old granddaughter, uh, I don't, you don't reason with her. She doesn't have a clue what life is about yet. But I do, want to, I do understand this. She, has to, she better understand you don't walk out into the street. You better not touch a hot stove. You better not walk up to a doggy and put your hand in its mouth. And the, those are things you have to teach your kids. Not, not breed fear into your kids, but you have to teach them and train them. Some things are just not safe. So you don't rationalize necessarily with little kids. You teach and train them. And someone says, well, my, kid, my, my three-year-old child is so smart, I can sit down and talk about calculus with them. Well, you know what? If you can talk calculus, then I'll give it to you. I'd love to meet them myself. But the fact is, is that most kids are not old enough. If, if, five and six-year-olds, what are we reasoning with five and six-year-olds for? I'm talking about when they know what's right and wrong. Why do we continue to try to convince them that what we want them to do is the best thing to do? No, we are parents. Therefore, what we want them to do is the best. We don't have to reason with them, nor do we have to convince them. I'm dad. That's why. And this idea, you know, it used to be, well, why should I do what you say? Because I said so. Why, why? I said so. I said so. You know what? That actually worked. It worked. Do you know that I don't hate my dad today? I don't hate him. I love and respect him. And, and my dad was not the Christian he is today. He didn't address things the way you dress things today. But I never, I learned from my dad. When he said something, you just do it because that's what you do. Yeah. And you know what? I'm okay, I think. Amen. Again, modern psychology has really created some problems because they have a better way than God. And we've bought into it sometimes. Because let's face it, it's so much easier sometimes than our upbringing itself. Maybe the way you were brought up, the way I was brought up. All of those things can affect how we raise our children or how raising kids is is viewed in our, our mind or how we view discipline. For instance, if you had an abusive parent, I mean a legitimately abusive, I mean they 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 literally were well they were overboard, quite quite clearly overboard on physical discipline. And, and you know, you've been in that, you've gone that route. You've been that person that was abused. And I'll tell you what, it's tough for you because the, the knee-jerk reaction is to go the other way. 
instead of spanking your children, you're going to go to the other one and say, you know, you don't understand. I, I, I never felt love, and I was, I was always, if I was disciplined, it was abused. They didn't care about me. They, abu- they spanked me out of anger and, and blah, 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 blah. Listen, I'm not, I'm not downplaying that. that. That's serious business. Those are things you better address in your life, and you better get help with if they're still affecting your decisions today. But the fact is, is that you're not over it if you can't discipline biblically. Don't tell me you are over that if you can't obey God because of it. Someone says, well, I'm over the abuse in my life. I just can't forgive. Then you're not over it because biblically you're told to forgive. If you can't do what God's told you to do, then you're not over it. God doesn't tell you to do something that you're not capable of doing. Therefore, that thing's still holding you back. And many times in our lives when it comes to discipline, you know, we have a tendency to allow our upbringing to affect how we view things. And so it's hard to discipline. And it's hard to do those things if we feel we've been abused because we're afraid we're going to do the same thing. And then we'll take just a standard biblical spanking that God demands and requires of us and we'll look at that and say, no, that feels too much like abuse. I will not abuse my kids. And you know what? That happens a lot. Parents who have never practiced the biblical method. Maybe your parents didn't practice the biblical method. Maybe they raised you a different way. And maybe you feel, I turned out pretty good too. And you know what? Maybe that's true. But very rarely, if somebody my age and younger uh, hasn't experienced a spanking. Most people were spanked years ago. Now, you want, you, you know, let's talk to those that are 30 and below. Because a lot of them haven't been. Sadly enough... Everybody, I'm so sick of hearing this thing. What's that thing called? What's that generation now? I'm sick and tired about hearing about millennials. You know what they are? They're people. It's almost like, what is that? That's stupid. You know what that does? That divides people. Do you know what? We're, we're not that different. None of us are that different. Millennials are just people like you and I. I'm so sick of that. It's, it's so ridiculous. It's like teenagers. Well, there's just this generation gap between us and our parents and us and our grandparents. There's no generation gap. The only generation gap that exists is the one that you place there. We're just people. God doesn't have generation gaps. We never read about them in the Bible. The younger people respect the elder people. The elder people respect the younger people. People get along. They work together. They have roles and responsibilities, and they go forward doing those things. I'm about tired up to hear, well, young people can't, can't identify with older people. You want to know why? Because our family's disintegrating in America, and most of these young people today don't even know who their grandparents are. And therefore, they never grow up understanding that older people are people. You know who older people are in the minds of most young people today? People that are on that are drawn from the system, that give nothing back to the system, that are just dead weight. They're out there driving cars and they can't even see in here. And they're getting in my way when I'm trying to go down the road. You know what? You know why that is? Because so many young people today do not have grandparent figures in their life. So therefore, they're not people to them. Older people are problems to young people today. Because they don't have somebody to look up to and say, oh man, that's grandpa there. I love grandpa. He's awesome. Grandma's awesome. And then when they look at you, an older person, or me, an older person, they go, oh, grandpa, he's awesome. Man, I like grandma. She's sweet. But most, a lot of these young people don't have that anymore. And so we're raising a generation without any influence of older people in their lives, and they have disdain for older people now. Because they're just in their way. That's a sad place we're in. But anyway, that's a whole other issue. But our upbringing. 
Families where, uh, where little discipline was ever experienced, sometimes those folks, um, you know, think that any kind of discipline's harsh. Anything. So our upbringing has a, plays a factor in all of that. So we talk about the conflicts, things that kind of stand in the way of discipline. Well, our feelings can do that. Modern psychology and, and, and the adaptation of that in our lives. And, and can I say this too? I just want to say this. Not everything that modern psychologists come up with is bad. Okay, there are some positive, and again, you have to be real careful with this. But, but remember, if it doesn't align itself with the Word of God, then it's not biblical. That's all. See, I, I, there are principles that modern psychologists apply at times that are very biblically based. And if that's the case, the principle is solid in and of itself. However, when you take most of the time, you take modern psychology, if it's been learned outside of the Word of God, let me tell you something, it, 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 it takes God out of the equation. Well, anytime God's out of the equation, it is not a positive thing. So be careful. When you listen to advice from people, if they themselves have removed God out of their life, you better be real careful of the advice you're going to get. It's probably going to be pretty tough. I mean, it's not going to be biblical in most cases. So be careful with that. So those are just some thoughts when we come talking about discipline. Now I'm going to close with this. Uh, I, I just thought this was really neat. I had something else I'd give you if we had time. It says, if there is time. Well, there's no time. Okay, so you're not going to get that, all right? Uh, but uh, I, want, I want to read this in, in closing. It's, um, it's a letter that was written by a mother to, the, to her police chief in Topeka, Kansas. And she gives her views on police brutality. Okay, let, let me share this with you. Now, this is not like written last year. Okay, this was probably at least 15 years ago. But it's, it's entitled, If You Catch My Sons, Please Be Brutal. Let me read it. Now, before you come to judgment, listen to what she said. It says, To begin, I should first tell you that I have two teenage sons. And being a mother... I cannot help but want the very best of everything for them. I'm not a typical mother and that I see things that many mothers never hear of, much less become involved in, because my husband is a minister. We see the very best and the sordid worst. I would like for you to be brutal with my sons. Is that a surprise? If you find them speeding in a car, please be brutal. I've sat at a hospital holding a grieving mother's hand because of someone's mistake. That was brutal. I've gone with my husband to tell a wife her husband was killed. That was brutal. I've played organ music at funeral service for babies, teenagers, and adults because someone drove too fast. That was brutal. If you catch my teenage sons with liquor in their possession, please be brutal. I've sat all night with my, by my husband's side trying to piece together two young men's lives, both broken by drinking. That was brutal. I've listened to the horror experiences by another, excuse me, I've listened to the horrors experienced by another man while he was drunk and heard him recall the many jails he has served time in for this. That was brutal. I've tried to con, um, console a mother whose daughter was killed after being struck by a drunken driver. That was brutal. If you should find my sons with drugs in their possession, please be brutal. I've tried to rehabilitate a woman just out of prison for shooting her husband while she was drugged. Now that was brutal. I've seen a handsome young man turn into an ugly one because of drugs. That was brutal. I've seen a young mother addicted to a drug scream for the lack uh, I've seen a young mother addicted to a, a, a drug scream for the fact, lack of a fix. That was brutal. If you find my sons committing any kind of immoral act or carrying any porn, pornographic materials, please be brutal. I've listened to the sad cry of a young girl who was pregnant but not married. 
That was brutal. I'd been present when a boy and a girl broke the news to their parents that they had to marry. That was brutal. I've tried to comfort a mother whose beautiful daughter was raped. That was brutal. I've seen a promise, a promising young man with a brilliant future have to give up to assume, uh, give it up to assume the responsibility of supporting a wife and a baby. That was brutal. If you ever see my sons taking something that isn't theirs or willfully destroying property, please be brutal. I've walked in a hushed, sacred church that was stripped of everything that could be sold. That was brutal. I've seen a lovely, expensive home and yard completely torn up by vandals. That was brutal. I've wiped, up, I've wiped the little boy's tears and helped him hunt for a stolen bicycle. That was brutal. If you should ever catch my sons doing anything illegal, please be brutal. I've come to realize that your kind of brutality cannot in any way compare with the brutality that comes from breaking laws. My husband and I have tried to teach our sons that their rights end where someone else's begin. We believe that they have learned this lesson, but in case they forget, we look to you and others who influence their lives, excuse me, who influence their lives, teachers, coaches, etc., to see that they remember. And if you must be brutal to remind them, then please be brutal. I do not want my sons to grow up into two grown-up boys. I want them to become men, able to assume their place in this world and make good contributions to it. I sincerely hope they won't need your help. But if they do, you must then be brutal. It was written to the Pennsylvania Law Enforcement. It was in their journal. They posted it in their journal, the Police Law Enforcement Journal. Let me tell you, here's a mother that said, you know what? I've seen what sin brings and the the result of disobedience and rebellion. And that's more brutal than anything you could ever do to my kids. Man, that's an amazing thing. And someone says, well, that's, listen, I I don't know. You do what you want. But I'm saying, here's a mother that I do believe loves her kids. And she wants the best for them. It might behoove us to get back to discipline. Because I do believe we still need to get back there a little bit. I look around me everywhere I go and I see a culture, a society that needs to get back to discipline. May God help us to do just that.